Welcome into the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host and owner, Justin Jackson. And as always, don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and share the Justin Time Sports Podcast on wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to follow and turn on your post notifications for the Justin Time Sports social media. You will see the Justin Time Sports logo, which is the white crown with Justin Time Sports on it. Um, black background. You'll see that on Twitter and Instagram. Facebook still has the picture of me included in the um, in the f- Facebook and uh, TikTok, rather. Still has a picture of me and the logo on it in your profile photo. But the social media handle is at JTimeSports. I repeat, at JTimeSports. If you're looking on Twitter, I'm verified. Um, Instagram, I'm not yet. Facebook, you know, I have 2,000 followers there. Uh, so shout out to you guys for that. Um, but make sure that you follow at JTime Sports and turn your post notifications on for breaking news and updates. Now, as always, again, if you if you're a returning listener, you already know what I'm about to say. And if you're new, sit back and get ready to learn something. to the Justin Time Sports Podcast, episode five of season four. Yeah, you guys have been rocking with me for four seasons now. And if you're new, welcome. If you're returning from day one, what up, fam? Um, if you're somebody who jumped in somewhere in the middle, um, usually a lot of my traction picked up during football season. So if you're one of those people that jumped in somewhere during the middle, uh, welcome back to you. If you've fallen off and come back, welcome to you. Just welcome into the show. Like I said, episode five of season four. We have been rocking this thing out for four seasons now. Um, you know, you know, and we got a format we usually do. We're gonna go back to the kind of the original format where we kind of do sport by sport. Um, it's, it's a little different with the NBA being the primary sport, considering that football I could do last week. Then I, even though I'm going to try to record a lot on Wednesdays, this football season, so I get that full Thursday night all the way to the weekend prediction situation. Um, but, you know, football season, we do the previous week and then the current week. And then we do, we'll touch on the NBA if NBA's in. If it's baseball season, we'll touch on baseball. And then we'll do best for last and get out the door. Um, with the NBA being the primary sport, it's kind of, it's a little different because there's not as much, you know, there's no yesterday coverage and today's coverage. You know, I'm not, I'm, admittedly, I'm not watching non-basketball games tonight. I'm not. Um, I don't know who anybody who is. <clears throat> a lot of these guys, that they, they, they'll tell you they watch nine. Oh, I watched all the games last night. Yeah, you watch the abridged versions and look at a box score and give analysis. Not bad, especially when you, especially when a lot of times they get to see the highlight package before it goes up and I can give an analysis. It's not bad, but I'm not a guy who's going to watch nine games last night or even half or bits of nine games and be like, oh, I saw this and that. That's not me. That's not this podcast. This podcast is a is an NBA NFL-centric podcast, although today we're going to talk about the World Baseball Classic. We're going to talk about the NCAA tournament, obviously. We're going to have the NFL, and we're going to start off in the NBA. It is the NBA season. We're going to start off there. Now, this is the primary NBA NFL podcast podcast. 
but we are, I am a guy who I know a lot about a lot of sports. I know the significance of a lot of sports. I'm not one of these shock jocks. I'm not. I promise I'm not. Um, if you're new, you, you know, you'll learn that quickly. I give it to you how it is. I don't, re I'm not, I don't feed into a lot of media narratives. I'm not one of these ones that, oh, I'm not that popular yet. So I'm going to say outlandish things. And then I don't believe I'm going to tell you what I believe. And if it's outlandish to you, it's outlandish to you. It is what it is. But I'm going to tell you what I believe. I'm going to tell you what I'm seeing. And hopefully you agree with it. If it doesn't, if you don't, then you could listen to disagree with me. Um, or send this to a friend who might agree with me or whatever, so on and so forth. Hey, whatever. But it's not this podcast. We're going to start right off in the NBA. We're actually recording this while some games are going down. Um, so if you see a standings jump or like I'm going to list off the standings and whatever, um, like for instance, Cat just hit back-to-back threes. So that kind of gives you a reference point of where I'm at. Uh, he just hit back-to-back threes in his first game in 51 games. And we'll talk about him actually in a few minutes. Um, but... So the standings I list out to right now would not be accurate when you hear this tomorrow morning. I'm recording this Wednesday night. You'll hear this Thursday morning. Um, so the East probably will look a lot of the same, but the West is so jam-packed from 7 through 12. And they could be flipped on his head uh, by the time you guys hear this. So, But a lot of the trends and stuff will still be the same. Um, but we're going to start off in the East. So 1 through 12, and I'm stopping at 12, and I'm really about to cut the East off at 10. Because I'm only listing teams that have a legitimate chance at the playoffs or the play-in. Now, there's about 10 games left for most people, anywhere from 9 to 11 games. Um, everybody, so I'm 11 and 12 seed in the East is within two games of 10th, uh, which is the player last spot of the play-in tournament, so I'll list them. And then, of course, the West, they're, I mean, their 12th seed is three games away from 5th. Um, so I'm definitely going to list them. And the West I can get real topsy-turvy here um, coming down the stretch. But... In the East, you have the Bucks, the Celtics, the 76ers, the Cavs, the Knicks, the Nets. So those six teams right now are your automatic qualifiers at this uh, at this current moment. So those guys would not need um, to play in the playing tournament. They would get the week off, which is a massive, massive advantage these days to have that week off prior to the playoffs, especially when you don't have to deal with the play-in. And it gives you a, a strategic advantage because um, if you're the six seed, you know you're playing a three seed. So right now, the playoffs ended today. Um, the Nets would know they're playing the 76ers, and the Knicks would know they're playing the Cavs. So you can start planning and plotting against um, those two things. And so um, you can start playing against those teams. Like, you know for a fact that if you're the Nets, I got the Sixers. I got to start plotting against the Sixers. Or if I'm the Cavs, I know I got the Knicks. I got to start plotting how to beat the Knicks. And I got a week to do it. The one and the two seeds have no idea. Because as it sits right now, the rest of the East is Heat, Hawks, Raptors, Bulls. So those teams right this second would be the play-in tournament. In my opinion, they're going to be the play-in tournament. And then the Pacers and the Wizards are only two games behind the 10th seed Bulls. Um, so if I had to put my money on it, the top 10 is not going to change. The order might, but the top 10 won't in the East. Um, but that's what I was saying. If you're the Bucks and the Celtics, you don't know who you're matching up against. You can get ready for the playoffs, but right now, there's four teams you can match up against. Um, because, for instance, the 7 seed can end up the 8 seed. So the Heat could end up playing the Bucks. Even though if it was traditional old school playoffs, the Heat would automatically get the Celtics, the Hawks would get the uh, Bucks. The Bulls may end up as high as 8. 
um, they may end up playing the Bucks. You know, the, you know, there's a lot of different possibilities um, of what's happening um, to different scenarios. So you don't know who you're playing against. That that playing tournament is beneficial to me for those teams that wouldn't have made it for nine through twelve or whatever. So nine and ten, they're beneficial for them, and three through six. Because you get that three through six, you know who you're playing, and you get the week off. One and two gets the week off, sure, but they don't know who they're playing. Um, at least for a couple of days, they lose two, three, two or three days of preparation. Now, will that team roll over that seven eighteen anyway? More than likely, um, it would be like I don't see anybody. I don't see the Heat, Hawks, Raptors, Bulls, Pacers, or Wizards challenging the Bucks or the Celtics. I, I just don't. So it it doesn't really matter, but in the grand scheme of life, like let's say it was one of those years where like for instance the Nets still had Katie and Kyrie. And or no, I just go to like six the Philly and B has a bad injury. Well he misses forty something games and they end up the eight seed and then they end up playing the Bucks in the first round. You would lose two or three days of game prep for the Sixers and have to deal with the Sixers. Um, so that's one of some, something I definitely would, uh, man, there's no way to fix that, you know, but again, they should roll. So it shouldn't be a massive issue. It's kind of like in the instead of late tournament, we'll touch on that. Like one of the first four games is a 16, 16 game. That game normally doesn't matter because they're going to get rolled by the one seed anyway. But there's also an 11, 11 game. So it's kind of like the lowest conference champions play and the lowest, um, not in the lowest, um, at large bids play. 11 seed can beat a 6 seed. It happens decently often. So if I'm a team in the tournament, instead of knowing about a week in advance, I'm playing this team, I got to kind of scout two and then watch the game and then two, three days, focus my scouting on one and how to beat that one. You know what I'm saying? So um, kind of similar situation with the NBA playoffs system is happening with the playing tournament. And then we're going to jump to our West really quickly. Again, this is going into tonight's games. This is going into Wednesday night's games. Again, like I said earlier, the whole West could be topsy-turvy um, by the time you guys hear this Thursday um, morning. But there's the Nuggets, there's Grizzlies, there's Kings, Suns, Clippers, Warriors. So going into Wednesday night's games, those are the six that would be in. And the only playoff series we'd be known would be Warriors-Kings, which would be very interesting, and Suns-Clippers. Massively interesting. And then as it sits right now, again, going into Wednesday's games, 7 through 12 are as follows. Thunder, Dallas, Minnesota, Utah, Lakers, Pelicans. Now, these standings, again, could be completely topsy-turvy. Um, I believe, I know, I think 5 through 12 is like two and a half, three games apart. Um, 7 through 12, I think it's like two, one and a half, two games apart. It's incredibly close. You know, it's plausible the Clippers, thanks to Paul George's unfortunate injury, could miss the play-in. Because, again, they're only two, three games up. They lost last night to Oklahoma City. Russ, you got to play Russell Westbrook more. Paul George is going to miss the rest of the regular season. So, you have to make it. I think in order to secure that spot, they got to win three games out of ten. Can they win three out of ten? They should. You got Kawhi Leonard. You got Russell Westbrook. You got... Um, Zubach and uh, Eric Gordon, you should be able to win three or four games to secure your six seed. But could it be very possible that they win, go, I mean, five and five gets them in for sure. Four and six puts them in danger of the play-in. 
three and seven, you may end up staring a nine ten seed. You know, and it, it'll be an absolute disaster of a season, and they don't even make the playoffs. I mean, that's kind of what's in front of them right now. Unfortunately, thanks to Paul George's injury, um, they they are kind of uh, struggling right now um, without Paul George. I and mean, they, like I said, they lost last night. Lou Dort clamped up Kawhi Leonard on the last possession, pretty pretty easily. And so now you're gonna have to depend more on Russell Westbrook. That's not a good recipe for anybody in the basketball team. Um, and I'm starting to hear national media, and I'm not, and I'm not for new people. You, I'm learning. I'm not a national media slander guy. Again, I'm not gonna try and get my popularity up from tearing at you know the big names, the Skip Bayless, the Shannon Sharps, the Chris Broussards, the Kevin Wilde, Stephen A. Smiths, Nick Wrights. Like I'm not gonna, you know, Bomani Jones. Like I'm not gonna take my shots at people. Um, and digs at people to get my cloud up. That's not me. However, in this particular case, and I'm going to use his name because I just heard it, and well, just, well, a couple hours ago, just kind of just heard it, and I'm going to use him to make a generalized point. Chris Broussard mentioned that Russell Westbrook isn't being used properly with the Clippers. I heard that same thing from a lot of people when he was with the Lakers. I heard similar with the Wizards. I heard similar with the Rockets. The only team he's never had that complaint with, Oklahoma City. Now, again, when his numbers spike with the Rockets, all of a sudden people say, see, now you're using them right. And it led you to what? Or, you know, I heard in Washington, oh, they unleashed Russ. Didn't they get swept by, uh, didn't they get swept by the Sixers? I mean, and he goes to the Lakers, and that was not a good fit either. Now he's with the Clippers, and I'm hearing he's not being used correctly there either. Maybe there is no correct way to use Russell Westbrook. Maybe Russell Westbrook's not a winning basketball player. Look, I tried. If you go back to past episodes of this podcast, you'll probably hear me praising Russ and the addition of Russ and how Russ, AD, and Braun are a hell of a big three. Talent-wise, I can't deny that. Stand by. But maybe Russ is not a winning basketball player. Talented, for damn sure. Would have loved to see him in his prime. Absolutely would have loved to see him in his prime, without a shadow of a doubt. In person? Oh, I bet it was a show. When he was 20-20-20, Russ? When he was triple-double for the first time, Russ? When he was catching... Passes and bombing 37-foot game winners, Russ. Easily one of the best shows in NBA history. I'm talking prime Michael Jordan, prime Kobe, prime LeBron, prime D-Rose, prime Russ. You know, prime Dr. J, prime Magic. Like, one of the greatest shows in NBA history. But what happens when you leave a circus show? worth the price of admission sure but in a few years do you remember it you kind of snap your finger and go man I went to the circus that one time wasn't that memorable it wasn't a uh, lasting winning performance see Russell Westbrook's the first battle hall of famer there's no doubt about that he's one of the greatest talents that ever played a position of point guard to me he has the title as the greatest athletic point guard ever 
The reason why is Derrick Rose blows out his knee. Also, Russell Westbrook has a triple-double four or five times over. They both have an MVP. John Morant has done Jack Daly squat in the NBA. And so Russell Westbrook's the greatest athletic point guard ever. But he's not a winning basketball player. Honestly, neither was Derrick Rose. He just wasn't. And now Russell Westbrook is not either. And now the Clippers, unfortunately, thanks to Paul George's knee, which is being you know, a sprained knee out the rest of the regular season, is going to have to depend on Russell Westbrook more. While the rest of these teams, I'm going to, I've already listed at the, at the play-in, are hungry. You got teams like Thunder. Now the Thunder, it does not behoove them to win basketball games. It would do them a lot. Now Chet Holmgren's warming up, so they're basically getting a lottery pick next year, regardless, because Chet Holmgren's back. But it does not necessarily behoove them to make the play-in tournament. Dallas, it definitely behooves them. Uh, Luca was dealing with a minor injury. Uh, Luca was dealing with a uh, calf, hamstring, thigh tightness, thigh soreness. Um, and so he's back after missing five or six games. He's back. He's playing tonight. Um, but it, 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 it behooves them to make it because they have to convince Kyrie Irving to stay. So it behooves them to make it. Minnesota, you get the gift of Carl Anthony Towns back. Uh, Anthony Edwards' ankle injury looked season ending. Um, and his reaction afterwards, I thought break or tear dislocation. So like, I thought it was horrible. It turned out just to be a strain. Um, and he will miss a couple of games. He was listed as day to day. Um, head coach Chris Finch listed him as out indefinitely. Uh, but pretty much from the vibe around the team, it's pretty much going to be a day to day situation. Uh, but they, like I said, they do get the gift of Carl Anthony Towns returning. Um, and he missed, he missed 51 games with calf strain. Okay, I'm just, I'm not in the business of doubting medical opinion. But I kind of mentioned this in my last show. I'm going to go out on a very short limb and say that Carl Anthony Towns had more than a calf strain. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to put that on front street. I get he's a big man. Big men, lower leg situations get complicated really, 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 really fast. Ask Zion Williamson, who we'll discuss in a second. Leg injuries get complicated really quick for a big man. 51 games is a lot of damn time. Excuse my language. What you're not about to do is sit here, Minnesota Timberwolves training staff, and tell me it was a calf strain that kept Carl Anthony Towns, an athlete in the prime of his career, away from the basketball court for 51 games. When he suffered the injury, and I can I can see it like it was yesterday. When he suffered the injury, he was jogging up the court on the video I seen on the right side of the video. He's jogging. He's just going up the court. He's going, he's he's, he's moving away from the camera up the court. He takes a step and he looks back like someone kicked him. Every Achilles person says that is your telltale sign and if you love Edgar Allan Poe your telltale heart sign of an Achilles pop or something to do with the Achilles because they said it feels like someone kicked you so you look back unless it's one of those situations where it's like um oh I can't think of the guy's name I think it was UConn had a college basketball player he jumped up for a jump shot, shot it, and came down and popped it. He just went straight down. 
But if you're running, or you're going, you're running, you're moving, your Achilles pops, you look, you feel a shearing pain, and you look back like someone kicked you. An Achilles tear knocks Carl Anthony Towns out for a season. So I'm not going to say he tore his Achilles. Do I think that was some Achilles damage? Absolutely. Because again, he gave it, he, where he didn't grab the calf, he grabbed his Achilles area. He looked back like someone kicked him. He basically told us via body language, I have an Achilles injury. Yet, the Timberwolves will try to have you and I believe that it was a calf strain. I mean, hey, ultimately, I hope the big fella's fine. Like I said, he jumped in the game and made, made back-to-back threes. I hope he's fine. I want him to be fine. Because I want Carl Anthony Towns is good for the NBA. He's a good guy. Um, his story is insane. Well, you know, I'm not going to dive off into what happened with his family and COVID. Um, but he's a good guy. He's a, he's a hell of a talent. Um, I believe he's only American qualifying big man for a while. So if we're going to win Olympic golds. It's going to have to be pretty much him, like Chet Holmgren, um, running out of options here in terms of American big men. Um, James Wiseman may end up still in an Olympic spot because he's like one of the few American born bigs, um, that can qualify for the Olympic team. But like, you know, Carnegie Towns is a hell of a guy. Actually, no, I think Cat's in Ozil, because I think he played for another country in his youth. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Cat's one of those guys. He's a good guy. He's a hell of a talent. Um, and so I, I do hope he's okay. Um, but you're not going to tell me it was a calf strain. You're not. You're not. Um, so that's something that hopefully um, he does not have. It's not lingering at all. Utah, really quickly, again, Laurie Marketing back. Um, it does not behoove them to win basketball games either, which is another reason why the West having um, Lakers and Pelicans, two teams wanting to get in um, for a couple different reasons, but two teams wanting to get in, having Utah and Oklahoma City, like a ha- a game or a game and a half in front of them, you know, but it, they may end up getting in because it, it definitely doesn't help Utah. Like, the Thunder, in theory, they have so many picks. If they make their own pick instead of pick um, eight, it's pick ten now. Like, it's not going to affect uh, the Oklahoma City regime, Sam Presley, too, too much. So they may end up going for it because I don't think they're going to get in the playoffs anyway. So they end up picking tenth or something anyway instead of seventh. Um, so no big deal for them. But... It does not help the Utah Jazz at all because the Oklahoma City Thunder are basically getting the number two or three overall pick back in Chet Holmgren because he hurt his foot in a program against LeBron. Um, LeBron bumped into him on a dribble drive. Chet cracks his foot, and that was in the Chet season. Um, and so they're getting him back. He looks pretty healthy now. They're getting him, and they get their own hand on a lot of pick this year. Utah, this is their roster. You know, they have Minnesota's pick, but it looks like Minnesota's going to make the playoffs. So, it does not behoove Utah to go for it. Now, I don't think they'd, make, they'd win the play in anyway. Because if 10, they'd have to beat Minnesota. And they can turn around and beat the loser of Thunder. Dallas. I think it'd be the Thunder. But it does not behoove Utah at all to win this game. Um, to start winning games. So, I think the Lakers or the Pelicans, for sure, are going to just get gifted Utah spot. Because if Utah's smart, they start losing games. I get Laurie Markin is back. That's great. 
but like seven games left and you're up a game or two, uh, Lloyd Markin is stressed. Jordan Clarkson has been shut down for medical reasons. Like, I'm shutting for down and losing the last seven games and making sure that I'm not in the plan. Um, and then, like I said, hand over the spot to either the Lakers or the Pelicans, um, who both are trying to win. For the Lakers, you don't own your first-round pick. That is swap right available for the Pelicans. So you're trying to make that pick as bad as possible. So also you can keep it. Um, now, if the Pelicans decide to not swap, I think it's automatically swap to make sure it converts to something else. I'm not sure. Um, but it does not behoove the Lakers to um, lose games. Vice versa, if you are the New Orleans Pelicans, you are the one seed in December. You have Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, when healthy. We'll discuss him in a second. And Brandon Ingram, Jalen Valanciunas, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy. You have a team of that's decently expensive and that could do some noise in the West. You were people's Dark Horse Western Conference Championship pick two months ago. Um, and so it does not behoove them at all to lose games in New Orleans because Zion Williamson's contract extension kicks in next season. You're going to have to start making salary cap-based moves in order to keep starting a pretty good team around them, but at the same time uh, paying your top guys. Um, and so like, it doesn't help the Pelicans at all to lose basketball games either um, because if their record is worse than the Lakers, then their swap right doesn't matter anyway. So it's kind of a double. It doesn't help them in the draft and doesn't help them in terms of building for the future. And like I said, speaking of Zion Williamson, um, he will be back, or he will be reevaluated rather, uh, in two weeks. Now, that is about two and a half weeks of the regular season. He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks as his uh, hamstring injury is healing. Uh, he's now been cleared for on-court activities, which I believe was the was the uh, recovery point of the last setback of the setback that has knocked him out, kept him out for these low these many weeks. Um, was during the on-court activities portion of his rehab um but he'll be reevaluated in two weeks now up next we're going to shift to college basketball and discuss uh the ncaa tournament along with the pete maverick scoring record almost falling Welcome, welcome, welcome back into the show. And now we're going to jump into the NCAA tournament. Um, a lot has been happening on the men and the women's side. Um, we're going to start off with the women really quickly. Um, the stars are showing out. Um, from Aaliyah Boston with her crew of freshies, as they were called when they got to South Carolina, that group of amazing young women. Um since they showed South Carolina in the four years they've been there, they've lost eight ball games, including being undefeated their junior and now their current senior year. They've only lost one game at home. Uh, they already got one national title. They're working on their, to me, they're heavy favorites to win their second national title. Um, and then they're going to go out as one of the greatest group of recruits ever at any location. I mean, UConn had those stretches where they won a hundred something straight games. Brianna Stewart, her class, obviously is going to be well-remembered at UConn because of what they were doing. But South Carolina's freshies literally turned South Carolina from a football school to a women's basketball school. 
um, because that is the best sport on campus, and it's not even close. What Don Staley has done there is absolutely tremendous. Um, and to me, they're going to win their second national title. Kaitlin Clark is showing off for Iowa. You've got Haley Van Lith um, and a little bit of a controversy. Um, but she's showing out for Louisville. You've got uh, Azzy Fudd showing out for UConn. Angel Reese showing out for LSU and my fighting Tigers. So, of course, I'm, like, I'm, I'm rooting for LSU in this thing. Uh, LSU alumni, uh, big, big LSU fan. Grew up on a purple and gold, rooting for all their sports. You know, I was a child um, when I call it the glory age of LSU athletics. You had the football team uh, right around the time of that early last miles championship window situation. You had the women's basketball team with Sylvia Files, Simone Augustus, and the rest of that crew. You had baseball was rolling. Um, basketball, Big Baby Davis, Tyrus Thomas, and the rest of that crew at LSU um, for men's basketball. I mean, it was, like I said, the golden age. Anything anything you were interested in as an LSU fan was winning um, during that time. It was an amazing time to be an LSU athletic fan. And I grew up during that time period, born, born in Baton Rouge, purple and gold, cut me out, bleed it. Um, LSU fans, so I'm rooting for Angel Reese, Flaje Johnson, um, you know, Kim Mulkey, Alexis Morris, and the rest of that crew at LSU to bring this thing home. Um, so it's been absolutely exciting on the women's side. And on the men's side, it's been absolute chaos. To me, Alabama's going to win it. They have the best player in the country. How, kind of how I do the NCAA tournament is, who is the best NBA player in the, in, in the tournament? That's who I'm picking. I mean, it's just because... It's a tournament. It's one game. It's one game. It's like game sevens. It's six game sevens, basically. Um, and so in order to win the tournament, you have to win basically six game sevens. And so in a game seven, who's the best player in in, in the series? Who's the best player in the game usually wins the game. Um, if you look at every game seven in NBA history, pretty much, who was the best player in it? Probably got an 80% chance they won the game. Um and so, in this kind of single-style, crazy tournament, barring some team gets hot from three, usually the best player either wins it or gets very far. And so, Brandon Miller out of Alabama is easily the best NBA prospect in the tournament. Um, he has a case for the second-best prospect in the draft. Uh, and I say second because Victor Wimbenyama out of France is clear-cut number one. But now Brandon Miller started to make his case that he may he may possibly should be number two over uh, Scoot Henderson. And so, you know, Brandon Miller, like I said, is easily the uh, second, is easily the best NBA prospect of all the prospects um, of in, in the NCAA tournament. That being said, he um, is my pick. Him and his Alabama squad is my pick um, to win the NCAA tournament. Um, but other than that, it has been absolute chaos. Um, legitimate chaos. A 16 seed in Farley Dickinson, um, won two NCAA tournament games because they won their playing game. Uh, they won their first four game rather. And then they won, uh, then they beat Purdue. Uh, so the 16 seed versus they won the 16 seed battle in the first four, and then they beat Purdue um, in an absolute upset. And it's crazy because it's not the first time this has happened. Of course, it was five years um, since UMBC um, beat Arizona 
as the first uh, 16 seed to ever be the one seed. But this one is the biggest upset in the late history for multitude of reasons. Um, NCAA tournament history for multitude of reasons. Farley Dickinson. Okay, so you so for a school in Farley Dickinson's conference or really small conferences, the only way to get in for mid-major conference, if you're not, you know, the only way to get in is to win the conference tournament. That's it. Your whole regular season basically doesn't matter. Like Farley Dickinson could, in theory, go. 26 and 0 next year and not make the NCAA tournament because their conference is so little. They'd have to win, they'd have to win a conference tournament. Farley Dickinson didn't win their conference tournament. The school who won their conference tournament was technically still transitioning into the conference. So, like, the school was not a full, they, they hadn't waited, basically, waited their probationary period to make postseason events. Um, they were still transitioning into the conference. So that school won the regular season and the conference tournament, which should give them automatic bid in any other year, automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. However, because they weren't a full-blooded member of, they weren't off the regular period, whatever the situation was, they weren't eligible to get an NCAA tournament. The It went to the second place uh, team in the uh, NCAA tournament, in the conference tournament, which was Farley Dickinson. Farley Dickinson then, in turn, is ranked as the lowest overall seed. They're ranked 68. So 68 and 67 um, overall seeds play. So 68 teams made the tournament. Um, but again, like I said a couple minutes ago, the lowest overall conference champion, ranked conference champions, was usually 67 68 seeds. And then the lowest ranked um, at-large bid teams play in what they call the first four. So then they play each other for the so the two the two lowest eleven seeds and then the two lowest sixteen seeds play uh, and then you know, the sixteens battle for the right to play in their situation and then in their um, bracket and then the eleven seeds play for a right to play in the full sixty four big tournament. Um, but Farley Dickinson was not even supposed to be there. Like I said, in any other year, if the school had gone through their effectively probationary period. Um and um won the conference tournament, then they would be in. If Farley Dickinson would have been at home, but Farley Dickinson gets in, wins their um wins their first four game, and then comes back and beats Purdue. Purdue has a seven foot four player on their team. Purdue had three or four players taller than the tallest person on Farley Dickinson, and Farley Dickinson. Wins because Purdue goes ice cold from anything past the perimeter, from anything past the length of their arms from the rim. Um, and so they they win the game, um, and then they go get destroyed in the next round. And their coach ends up taking the Iona job, and the reason why they the Iona job was open because Rick Pitino, the former coach of Iona, accepted the St. John's job. Um, and so Rick Pitino is going to St. John's. Absolutely historic program in the New York area. He'll actually, I think they play their games in Madison Square Garden still. Ripotino was actually introduced in Madison Square Garden for the St. John's position. As you know, Ripotino, longtime college basketball coach, has some scandal, Louisville, all that stuff. And then the coach of Farley Dickinson, whose name is escaping me right now, actually took the Iona job, and he was a candidate, oddly, for the Iona job in 2020 when Rick Pitino actually got it. 
So they end up spinning the block back and picking him up after he pulled off what he pulled off at Farley Dickinson. Um, and to add to more things, a 15 seed also won in the tournament. Again, their name was Casey, uh, who, who they were. Oh, Princeton. Princeton won in the tournament, beating a two seed. And so if a 16 and a 15 seed won um, on NCAA tournament opening weekend. A uh, pretty, pretty wild uh, situation, which does not happen hardly. I don't think it's ever happened. I mean, 16 is only won twice. I don't recall a 15 winning that year. So this might be the first uh, year where a 16 and a 15 seed advance into round two. Um, absolutely wrecking everybody's bracket. This was the fastest I can recent history, definitely that I can remember, where the whole world's brackets was busted within a weekend. Because um, usually a few brackets somehow, some way make it to the Sweet 16. Nobody made it out of the first day and a half. Um, it was absolutely ridiculous. I've never, no one's ever seen that. Um, that sort of bracket busting. Like I said, it was, man, day three of the tournament. So that tournament was on a Thursday in earnest. Friday, by no later than Saturday, all 20 million brackets were busted. Um, no one seen any of the nonsense that happened happening. Um, like I said, everybody's pretty much busted out. Um, I I mean, I was feeling bad. I'm doing a Justin Time Sports uh, event, actually. Winner gets a free hoodie. So, shout out to the guys that participated. But, I was one of the ones, man, when Purdue lost, I'm like, man, I had Purdue like in my Final Four. You know, like, um... I'm, I'm screwed, and then back to back to back, people big losses, and they started pretty much came out to the thing of who do you have as a champion? You know, as long as your champion's still in it, you got a shot. Like if you're if you're an Alabama pool guy, if you're like me, I have Alabama winning it. They have the best player, I got them winning it. Bama can carry me right now. I have a chance of winning my um, own contest because um, Alabama's still in it. A few of my few of the guys in my contest oddly pick Texas. Like they're not Texas, not gonna win the tournament. So they're gonna lose. They're gonna have. They're gonna be capped at how high they can win because Texas is not gonna win a tournament. Um, so it's pretty dope. Um, that just is such a crazy NCAA tournament in its entirety. Um, love the NCAA tournament. That's why it's there. It's literally called March Madness. It's designed to be absolutely insane. Um, but now we're going to switch to the NFL and talk about what's going down with the Shield. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to talk about the NFL and what is going on with the Shield. It's the offseason. Free agency is definitely slowing down. If you want to keep up with uh, what's going on with every single move, um, definitely follow, of course, Justin Town Sports, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You get all the moves. You'll know everything was going down as it happens. Um, and of course, you guys turn post notifications on, and you'll know immediately. Again, on Twitter, we got the blue check. Uh, Instagram, we have the same logo as the Twitter. 
Facebook, I have 2,000 followers. So if you see a fake page out there for some reason, and it's not mine, just look up Justin Town Sports. You'll see my face along with the logo with the white crown, of course, and the black background. Um, and then TikTok, same thing. I was gonna, I was gonna start off this probably talking about Cam or I don't know Aaron Rodgers or um, Anthony Richardson news, Lamar maybe I don't know, but I want to take a moment to wish um, Foster Moreau uh, good health and recovery. Well, Foster Moreau is a former LSU player, so he's a he's he's a, he's a Tiger brother. I never met him. But we all come from the same school, so he's a Tiger brother. Um, we drafted by the Raiders, spent a few years there. He was actually signing back in the home state of, he signed with the New Orleans Saints and doing basically a routine full physical before you sign a free agent contract, do a trade, anything like that. You have to go through full physicals. You have to get through full examinations, full checkups, all that. Like that, go through and run full body scans and x rays and whatever. Similar to what, uh, Golden State did with Gary Payton the second when they found his core muscle injury. Um, the NFL, you go through the same process. That's a little more intensive because of how much contact is in the uh, NFL. It's actually a little bit more intensive than the NBA. But during a routine medical uh, examination, um, it was actually found that Foster Moreau had uh, John Hoskins, John uh, Hops, uh, sorry, I was gonna say Hoskins lymphoma. Sorry, I don't know if it's John, but uh, Hoskins lymph, lymphoma um, during a routine, you know, during a routine checkup. Um, actually, Foster Moreau released a statement on social media. Uh, I have it posted word for word on Justin Town Sports. I've also retweeted his original tweet thread, uh, but he tweeted, and I quote: "Throughout somewhat of a miraculous process, this free agency period has been life changing for me." During a routine physical conducted by the Saints medical team down in New Orleans, I've come to learn that I have Hoskins lymphoma and, and will be stepping away from football at this time to fight a new opponent, cancer. I'm grateful for the support and thankful for the people who have stood firm with me. There hasn't been a single step I've taken without hundreds of people lighting the path before me, and I will continue to seek their guidance. That being said, I'll go kick this thing's ass and get back to doing what I love. In all caps, he types AMDG. Um, so wow to that, um, it's definitely not something that happens often. That's the second time in the Saints history. They've caught a pretty serious medical issue in a, in a physical situation, like looking for in a physical, um, this happened again in 2017. So a lot of people are referencing now, like this is the second time the Saints medical staff has caught this. Um, Wow. Um, so like I said, I just want to uh, send prayers to Foster Moreau and his family. Like I said, outside of being my LSU brother and outside of being, you know, football player, he's a man. He has a family. Um, so I want to send prayers and thoughts to them uh, before we go anywhere further with this NFL topic. Anywhere further with the show, really. Um, so again, thoughts and prayers to the to the uh, Foster Moreau family. And I, uh, and I hope to see full recovery. I hope to see back on the field. Because he's back on the field, I know he's fully recovered. He's wearing the Saints jersey. You know, I know he's fully recovered. And he's back. Um, and so, that would be amazing to see. Um, but transitioning from that, um, a lot of news out of Pro Days. So, your Pro Days are usually what I like to call the uh, hype beasts of the offseason. 
it's just art. There, it's designed for hype. It's designed to get people talking about guys running and throwing in shirt and shorts. It's not the combine. It's, it's designed for interest and entry. Um, and you, the combine used to be like this thing you would go to for a couple of days. You would come back and then, you know, that was it. Now it's a media event. You know, the pro days are a media event. Like the pro days used to be a thing for the local media. One last time you see these guys where this t- your team's colors work out in their field. You know, it was like it was a media event. And then the scouts would come for a top player. But the only media that really covered it was like, okay, if it was LSU, maybe the state media would cover it because it's only big school. But like, you know, there's national media at these things now. There's reporters, there's interviews at pro days. It's certain shorts workout. It's the underwear Olympics. You know, like it's not really that big of a deal, but we have made it to where it is such. Normally, truly, um, there's not much um there's not much to report on. Maybe a couple of big throws. You know, maybe you overhear something. You see scouts particularly clumped up around a player that not really people talking about. You know, you kind of get, you kind of, you can steal a little bit of things. Like, if you're at Ohio State's Pro Day, for instance, because it was recent, and the defensive end is coming out, but he's a projected third or fourth round pick, and there's, you know, 15, 16 teams with a scout around this guy's workout. Okay, maybe he's a little higher than a third-round pick. That sort of thing. You know, maybe you can gather information that way. But for the most part, it's a pretty quiet event. Until recently, Cam Newton randomly drops a video about how he's going to work out. He's going to throw at the Auburn Pro Day. Now, why this is significant for multiple reasons. One, Auburn really didn't have a lot of eyes on their Pro Day. I don't know who the top Auburn prospect is. I really don't. Because Cam's workout was to his brother, who went to Auburn, but then transferred out. Um, so they end up getting a lot of eyes on their workout because Cam threw in the workout. From what I've seen, he threw pretty well. He threw a Zach Wilson memorial throw. Uh, where, you know, Zach Wilson famously rolled, to, like, rolled a little bit to his right, rolled to his left, flipped his hips and flicked it like 60 yards. Um, Cam did one where he did this big exaggerated roll to the right. And he just big, exaggerated roll back to the left and then fired it across his body, across the field. About 50 yards, pretty, pretty, 50, 55 yards, pretty on the money uh, for his brother. Um, and his brother caught it, of course, brought it in. Cam threw some great balls. He overshot a couple. But Cam's ish, but we know, we know Cam is not, you know, Tom Brady accurate. Drew Brees precise. Cam's got a rocket or he's got a delivery that's designed that's a little bit sporadic. Um, he made sure that he did fake checks at the line. He did like he went through his progressions a little bit. He tried to make it as game like as possible. He did a uh, blue blue thirty eight, I believe was his was the call he did every time. Um, and a couple points he identified mics. He pointed people out. He really wanted to make it like I said as game like as possible. Um, and a lot of scouts were in attendance. A couple of scouts gave him oohs and ahs on a couple of throws he let go. Um, it was pretty impressive situation. Like I said, all in all, in terms of a day, I'd give it a B, B plus day. Now, is that going to really dictate anything in terms of could Cam get back in the league? Cam is 33. Um, and Shannon Sharp kind of listed his accomplishments. Cam hasn't really been an above average starter since 2019, 2020. Um, he actually had a pretty solid start with the Patriots. Um, with my Patriots, and then he got COVID. So he had 
the pretty great game in um in Seattle that ultimately came up a little short because there was a fourth and fourth and goal on the goal line with like nine seconds left basically and the Patriots basically busted out the single wing from like the 1960s Raiders or Steelers and tried to do cam left the traditional old Panthers cam left um Southeastern ran it a lot actually with Cole Kelly just quarterback left um and the Seattle Seahawks blitzed it and snuffed it and that was the end of the game um and then the next week he had a pretty good game and they won and then COVID. And we came back. He was out of rhythm. He missed two weeks. And he said it. He said he was like, he showed up a month before the season started. Starting week one, which is not the plan. And then he's rolling basically on a limited playbook. Then he gets COVID. And he was like, in New England, the install doesn't stop. It's not like, you know, oh, Cam's out. Let's just keep reiterating what we're already doing. We'll just survive till Cam gets back. He was like, they kept installing. So, outside of being limited in what he was already not, and what he already knew, now the little he did know is even further behind because they kept installing. And so, he just fell out of rhythm in New England. Um, And unfortunately, that was um, the situation in New England. And so... Then he moves on. Now he you know, he ends up back in Carolina. That didn't really work out again. He shows up mid-season and is um, having to try and figure out life in Carolina mid-season. And so that obviously did not work either. So when Shannon Sharp listed all the things that, you know, that he was dealing with or that he went through and, you know, Cam in his video mentioned how all these randoms keep getting jobs. And Shannon Sharp said, dude, you're one of these randoms now. Like, you haven't done this since 2020, haven't done this since 2019, haven't done this since 2018, etc. Um, you know, the league looks you one of those randoms. Cam, under the comments, was like, yeah, Unc, like, I agree with some of the stuff you said, but he also said, give me a full offseason and let me see what I can do. You know, don't just, um, don't just drop me in somewhere week six and say, figure it out. This ain't Madden. Don't drop me in two weeks before the season starts and say, you know, figure it out. And he said, give him a full offseason. You know, if he signs, oh, man, I'm trying to think of a team he would sign to. Maybe Miami. Miami could be interested in him as a backup to Tua. Um, oh, they got Mike White. Uh, maybe the Jets might do it. If they, if they strike on Aaron Rodgers, the Jets might actually do it um, because they'd be looking for a star power at that position. You know Zach Wilson's terrible. If the Jets could legitimately bring in Cam Newton, Right after the draft and give him April, May, June, July, August, five whole months to a training camp and a summer camp and a preseason camp to work through and get the offense right. Maybe he goes and plays for the Jets. He may start with, with the Jets week one, um, which Cam's personality in New York media seems like a match made in football heaven. But he may end up starting for the Jets week one. Um, but all in all, like I said, he did a pretty impressive workout um, at Auburn. So it'll be interesting to see what happens of a situation. Reports are coming out that if Baltimore loses Lamar Jackson, um, that Cam Newton may end up in Baltimore. So he's going to have options. And he'll get in, in my opinion, like right after the draft. And then he'll have a full offseason to make it work. As opposed to in New England, he was dropped in like a month before the season. Um, and then the Carolina came in mid-year. 
But that, you know, that's the Cam Newton situation right now. Speaking of Lamar Jackson, um, there is no update on Lamar Jackson. <laughs> Pretty much it's a lot of stuff we already knew kind of thing. And so um, that pattern is pretty much continuing. Um, so now the Colts, and I mentioned the Colts, the Colts are pretty much being circled as the team that if Lamar Jackson is no longer Baltimore Raven, he would end up in the Indianapolis Colts, which ironically used to be the Baltimore Colts. Um, so that's the Indianapolis pretty much being a circle team right now. The reason being is the Colts pick fourth. Um, and so they may end up, let's say they love Let's say they absolutely love. They said CJ Stroud's our guy. CJ Stroud's gonna be the guy that'll be in Indianapolis. And Stroud goes and win the Carolina. Okay, we'll set up for Bryce Young. Bryce Young is pretty good. We'll, we'll set up for Bryce Young. Bryce Young goes to to Houston. Now what do you do? You're left with Will Levis, Anthony Richardson. You know, like these guys you don't necessarily love. Do you used to call Baltimore and say, okay, hey, right now we'll we'll do Lamar. You know what I'm saying? Like what like what do you do at that point? Do you try and get Lamar to hurry up and sign his contract? So that way, um, you know, try and get Lamar to hurry up and sign his contract where you can trade him. Um, you know, it's it's weird situation where it could go down. But like I said, with that fourth pick, you may end up with your third favorite quarterback. You don't pick your third favorite quarterback in a draft with the with the fourth pick in a draft. You just you just don't do it. So at that point, I think you draft the best player on the board and you call Lamar Jackson and say, We'll give you your money and then dare the Ravens to match it. Um, and so if they don't match it, you sign up another vet. Uh, obviously, I was going to say Carson Wentz, but sorry, done the Carson Wentz route. Um, but you sign a vet to kind of hold the fort down, for lack of a better term. And then you go into the draft next year, hopefully, for Caleb Williams if you're the Colts. But Lamar Jackson to Indianapolis seems to be the most plausible plan at this time if he does not end up a Baltimore Raven. Um, Aaron Rodgers update. There is no Aaron Rodgers update. Pretty much same thing as Lamar Jackson. The same stuff we've been hearing. He wants to be a Jet. The Jet, the Jets want him to be a Jet. The Packers at this point want him to be a Jet. It is the Packers also know I've got Aaron Rodgers. I've got them over a barrel. Pretty much what I said about Carmelo Anthony, the companion to Carmelo Anthony to the Knicks. I got you over a barrel. He wants to go to you. You want him, but he can't get to you unless I help. So, therefore, I have you literally dangling over a barrel. Unless I decide to help you get him, you can't get him. Um, and so, the leverage and the assets and everything that, you know, would be in a, a situation where you would hope if you're the Jets, you would have in a situation to try and steal Aaron Rodgers, the Packers have all of it. Um, they have the leverage. They have the um, the player under contract, they have all of it. Um, and so they're probably holding um, they're probably holding the Jets over a barrel. For instance, the Jets completed a trade to send Elijah Moore and a third round pick to the Cleveland Browns for a second round pick. In my opinion, from the Packers, you could have traded me Elijah Moore and that third round pick as part of the Aaron Rodgers deal. A first, a second, Elijah Moore and a third. You can have Aaron Rodgers. Um, first this year, Third, uh, you can put the second, third round pick of futures and then Elijah Moore. Hey, like, that could have been the trade, but you trade Elijah Moore, and Elijah Moore, in the third round pick um, to the um, Cleveland Browns for a second round pick, um, and so that may end up hurting 
some of the stuff that you attempted to get um, for Aaron or something to give for Aaron Rodgers. So that's the I main. But other than that, there is no update. Um, Carolina could potentially end up drafting Anthony, Anthony Richardson number one. I'm starting to hear that rumor. But also, Carolina was at uh, CJ Stroud's pro day at Ohio State. There is video of Josh McCown who works for the uh, Carolina Panthers. You know, he was linked to the Houston uh, Texans head coach job a couple of times. Um, he's been linked to other head coach jobs, but he's working as an advisory role um, for head coach Frank Wright in Carolina. There's video of him talking to C.J. Stroud and him saying, when you live in Carolina, we will have to find you a court. Not if you will get to Carolina. Not if he says, when you live in Carolina, we'll have to find you a court. Because C.J. Stroud was talking about something about he likes to play basketball. Sorry, when you live in Charlotte, we'll have to find you a court. They have the number one pick. Now, no one's been pre-signed. Now, you, you technically can pre-sign a guy. Um, you technically can pre-sign a guy early. I mean, it hasn't been done since, I think, Jake Matthews um, to the Dolphins. I think he's the last person to pre-sign um, their con- their contract before even getting drafted. There's been some no doubt. Like, Trevor Lawrence, everybody in the world knew Trevor Lawrence was going number one. Um, actually, they end up telling that uh, the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence were installing the offense for months before the draft, like since January, before the draft in April. Um, and so that's been no brainers, but no one's ever actually physically signed the contract. I believe since, um, like I said, um, uh, I can't think of it. I just said his name. I can't think of it right now. Jake Matthews out of Michigan signed pre-signed with Miami. That was the last person that the last person I can remember that did it. Um, before the draft, but you know that, that, that was pretty definitive by Josh McCown. You say when you live in Charlotte, considering they have the number one pick and they need a quarterback, he was like, "When you live in Charlotte, we're gonna find you a court." So to me, that's gonna be a number one pick. So whoever's been betting, people place your money on C.J. Stroud to go number one because Josh McCown pretty much let the cat out the bag and was caught on camera. But up next. We're going to shift to the World Baseball Classic and discuss what happened over a crazy three weeks. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to touch on, quickly, the World Baseball Classic. Um, so this is an event where it's sort of like the World Championships are, you know, you know like basketball, and like the FIBA World Championships, or the, you know, where these countries come together to get their players together. Obviously, international, comp- international sport competition. You go play for your home country, and you play like a tournament, next day it's about three weeks long. Um, and you play for your home country, like, and it came down to the best two players in the world squaring off. Um, Mike Trout, who has been the universally regarded as the best player in the world for years now, and then Shohei Ohtani, 
of the Japanese two-way legend um, kind of wrestled it away from him in the final at-bat of the tournament. I mean, this thing had everything. It had massive celebrations. It had America making a run. Um, it had um, injuries. Like I said, Jose, Jose Altuve is out at least. Jose Altuve is not clear to do baseball activities for at least two months. Um, and then a pitcher for the Mets, the closer actually, suffered an injury during the celebration, knocked him off for the season. Jose Altuve got hit in the hand by a fastball, knocked him off for at minimum two months. Um, and so, you know, they think had injuries. It had the big moment of, you know, America routing people on the way in. Then it had the Sunrise Japan team, um, absolutely crushing. Um, and then, you know, because a lot of those, it's, it's interesting. The Japanese league might be the second best league in the world. The reason why is they, um, and how I'm basing this off of, they sent a lot of their players over here. Shohei Otani's not the first. Um, not the first. Um, the There's uh, Ichiro was over here for like two decades. Uh, he was here. Um, and like I said, uh, Ichiro was over here for like, two decades there was multiple other players that have come over um Shohei Otani may end up being the best one by mile um but there was multiple Japanese players and there's uh you know there's more coming over the you know just through the years it's similar to what the NBA there's many more European players coming over now because of just that's just how it is um, their, their league's getting better, their talent's getting better, but the money's better in America. And so they're coming over now to try and take over the American leagues. And you see it with uh, European basketball players, they're coming over now. You see Luka Doncic, your Giannis Antetokounmpo's, your Joel Embiid's, your uh, Nikola Jokic's. You know, those guys are over here now. That's four of the best five players on planet Earth, and they're all non-American. They're all European players. The best player in the world is a Japanese player right now named Shohei Otani. Um, it was Mike Trout, American born and Brit, born and raised, plays for Los Angeles Angels. The team always sucks, but he's always amazing. Ironically, Shohei Otani's on his team, so the Los Angeles Angels legitimately have the two best players on planet Earth right now for baseball, and they can't get in the playoffs. I'll tell you how bad the rest of the team and management is. Um, but Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, um, Shohei wasn't scheduled to pitch that night. He was not starting. He was closing. He, he was available in the bullpen, but he wasn't starting. It comes down to the ninth inning. Japan's up 3-2 in the final game. Um, you know, my, Shohei Otani starts warming up in the eighth inning because the, the, they look and they go, man, Mike Trout's that third out. You know, if we're going to get three outs in a row, Mike Trout, University of Guadalajara at that time, is the best player on planet Earth, is the third out. Shohei's warming up. Shohei's the best pitcher easily on the Japanese squad. He warms up. It comes down to... Los Angeles Angel, American outfield, best player in the world, Mike Trout, versus Los Angeles Angel, I guess starting pitcher, um, Japanese-born Shohei Otani. Two outs, bottom of the ninth, or two outs, ninth inning, you know, American down, American down one, and Shohei fires four fastballs, 100 mile an hour or more, at Mike Trout and then throws a nasty slider. Strikes out Mike Trout. Japan wins the World Baseball Classic. Shohei Otani wins the best player of the world title. Um, 
And an amazing three-week period was wrapped up. I mean, you saw the international passion. Like I said, you saw the American mainstream social media begin to get behind the American team when we beat certain countries. Um, it was an absolutely wonderful show, a wonderful showcase, um, amazing event, the World Baseball Classic. Like I said, it provided a classic moment with the two best players in the world staring each other down, trying to keep the best player in the world title if you're a trout, gain it if you're Shohei, and both of them are trying to win the World Baseball Classic for their respective countries. Absolutely amazing, amazing show and amazing event. But that is all we have for the day. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you're new, I hope you come back with us next week. If you're returning, bring somebody else, tell somebody else with you that the Justin Time Sports Podcast is where it's at. Uh, again, like, rate, subscribe, and share other podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. And then, of course, follow the social media handle at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports. Turn on your post notifications so you always know what's going on, when it's going on. Now, as always, this is your host and owner, Justin Jackson, signing out.